The source of all our power in life comes from our why, or our purpose. So join me today as we deep dive into understanding this source with Dave Clare. Dave is an author, speaker, and leadership coach with a mission to create and inspire 90 million purpose-driven leaders in organizations across the world. Dave shares how the catalyst to where he is today came early in his banking career when a key leader saw something in Dave which he himself couldn't at that point. Dave ties passion and purpose to essentially finding the problem that resonates down to your deepest core, so much so that you'll be relentless in wanting to solve it for others. Dave puts forwards how when organisations and individuals work from a place of purpose, they are on average 40% more productive. He shares how he is able to hack the strategy and culture of an organisation towards being purpose-driven through his three key pillars, and how the demise of any organisation is set as soon as they switch their primary focus from fixing the customer's problems to serving the profit sheet and shareholders. What is most impressive is the clarity and simplicity in the way that Dave talks about working on your purpose and how so critically important it is and how easy it can be. So enjoy Dave. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Brett Edwards. Leadership that comes from a place of purpose is the key theme we're going to dive into today with my guest, Dave Clare. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brendan. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Indeed, yeah. indeed. So uh, I picked up from your accent straight away. You're originally from Canada. Yes. And then I understand you came here in 81 to start with. Yeah, my family moved over here in 81. Um, they've been here ever since. I've yep. flipped back and forth between here and a couple other countries, but uh, I consider myself a Kanazi. A Kanazi? Yes. Half a meat pie, half a hockey puck floating around <laughs> up in the... Yeah. Awesome. And... How was it? I, t- I take it you came over with your mum and dad? Yeah, yeah. When we were, uh, I was probably 15 and a half at the time. So to show my age now in 1981, yeah. you can do the math. Uh, yeah, so we all, my family decided to migrate over to Australia and uh, and stay here ever since. Uh, I was with my mum, dad, and my two brothers. So all of us moved here. And brothers and family, they've all stayed in that. And then I've moved to Papua New Guinea, came back here, went back to Canada for 10 years, been back here now for nine. Hmm. Yeah, so. What yeah. was it like? You said you were 15. What was, yeah. it like, what was that transition like? Uh, you know what? It was, um, to keep it real, uh, <laughs> I hate I was probably the only one who didn't want to go. Out of the family? Yeah. Yeah, you know, there was reasons why mum and dad felt it was proper for us to move over here, and which I understood, but what I'm a 15-year-old. Uh, well, my mum uh, was in a severe accident with, in a taxi. She wasn't driving it. She was in the back of it um, in, in the winter in Canada, of course, and it, she had some severe back problems. And then my younger brother would spend most Christmases in hospital with bronchial asthma. So the cold weather. Right. So they needed to move to a warmer climate. Um, and dad had a choice. We were looking at possibly going to San Diego. Uh, but my mom and dad are English, British, right? So they're from, I think, your hometown or your home yeah. country. And then they moved over to Canada. But mom's family moved to Australia. So yes. dad, on a business trip while he was around, popped down to Perth, West Australia from Singapore when he was doing a trade show. And caught up with the family here and decided that, you know, we'd spent all the time with dad and his family in Canada. It was time to spend time with mum's side of the family. So yeah. Perth was the destination they chose. Yeah. Um, and it was greater for my brother because for his asthma and my mum for her back and everything like that. So it just, not the, for Dave. Uh, you know, it's turned, it's turned out fantastic for me, but I was a 15 year old kid. I had a girlfriend and, you know, say. school, you know, you're in that age. You just, everything going on. Everything going on. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I just, just started high school and, you know, so, but I was always, you know, I understood the family's need and stuff that wasn't going to, I, I, I only 
I only talked to the parents about it probably years after we'd already moved here. Well, I didn't bring it up at the time. Yeah. Because I didn't want them to not, you know, think that because I didn't want to go, I don't want to be the one who, you know, stopped them from going. Yeah. Uh, and my younger brother's like six years younger than me. So he was nine or something. My older brother's 17. He just finished school. So, so yeah. So when he landed here, when we got here, he didn't have to go to school. He just went to go to work. I had to start school again in a brand new school, brand new country. I'd already started year 10 in Canada. Find so, a new girlfriend. Yeah, find a new girlfriend. <laughs> I had to start start year 10 again here because I'd already started in Canada because the school years are yes. slightly off because of the calendars. Um, and then so then I'm I'm the oldest kid in the class. Yeah. And then it turned out to work really good because I was the first to get my car, get my license, all that sort of stuff. So... And with my Canadian accent, apparently it worked really good with the Aussie girls. So, <laughs> so all the girls just sit on my desk today. Just say something. <laughs> like, what do you want me to say? Anything. <laughs> do you know? I <laughs> this is just. Oh, to have those days back just again. Brought back a memory. Actually, <laughs> I went on a rugby tour in 1990 yep. to Nova Scotia in New uh, Newfoundland and Nova Scotia. The Maritimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, in in um, Halifax in Conception Bay. Yep. I had girls say the same thing. Yeah. Oh, just say something. Yeah. Drink just talk to me. <laughs> just talk to me. <laughs> anyway, so what is it that you've come to love about Western Australia? Since? Uh, you know, one thing I love about West Australia is also the one thing I don't like about West Australia. And that's, um, I guess, the distance or the, the mm. isolation. Mm. It's nice to not have all the hustle and bustle. I mean, Perth's a phenomenal, one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been in, in the world. Um, and, and so that's great. And it's, you don't have all the influences of, of other places on it. Um, but also at times then it's, you don't have all the other things that density of population gives you. Yes. Um, but you know, from a lifestyle point of view, it's been fantastic. You know, I've lived all up and down the coast. I used to live down in Margaret river, um, lived in Perth in the suburbs here. Uh, spent the last eight years up in Geraldton in the Midwest, uh, been all up and down the coast. Uh, and it is one of the most beautiful, peaceful, places and the climate's phenomenal yes you know especially further up north because i like the heat i'm a canadian but i hate the cold you've gone off it now oh if i never saw below 20 degrees celsius again Bryn, i'd die a happy man <laughs> you know we sit there and think i used to play hockey outdoors in canada we just call it hockey okay it's yeah. not ice hockey it's just called hockey yeah um i played outdoors once it was like minus 30 and i'm like I can't even stand below 20 Celsius now. And I used to like, that's 50 degrees even colder than what... It's just like, yeah, I don't like the cold. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. I'm done. Tap out. There you go. Out. So um, looking at your work at a, at a bigger scale, and we'll yep. come into it in more detail in a second, there's obviously a real focus of uh, coaching, developing others, and trying to tackle bigger issues, yep. underlying fundamental issues. Where does that um, sort of drive come from in Dave's story? Was it role models or is it something that's just come to you? Um, yeah, like I guess if I go back and, and, and uh, certainly I write about in the opening intro to my book is that I was fortunate enough, apart from my, my parents, to have somebody who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Uh, and a gentleman called John McGuinness. Um, so when I was here when I, in my younger days, I started working for the R&I Bank, which was the State Bank of West Australia, hmm. which was, you know, sometimes referred to as a rude and ignorant bank or whatever it might have been, the old <laughs> R&I. Uh, but then it, you know, obviously went through a, a whole branding change to Bank West, which it is today. Hmm. Um, but then that's when I met John McGuinness there. And he was, um, yeah, he could just see the see something in me that I didn't see in myself. And he started investing in me and, and, and supporting me in terms of from a leadership point of view and right. investing in my own personal development. And, you know, he went outside the norm of what you would traditionally learn in a bank and put us on the personal growth programs and things like that. And, you know, I, I sort of ate those up. 
And with that, then I got, he put me on to, to train it so I could train everybody else in the bank on those sorts of programs mm-hmm. and stuff. And then with that, you know, I just my I just got very career focused and grew and escalated through the bank. Um, yeah, and so I guess having someone who who that believed in me, and then I, someone that I believed in, and then I also believed in. Um, the work that I was doing, it had a greater sense of purpose to me. And that's kind of when I got my first flavor for the three things that people want, mm. um, which is the core of the work that I do, which is, you know, people want something to believe in. They want someone that believes in them and they want someone that they can believe in. And if you can build an organization that encapsulates those three things, mm. um, you'll have a phenomenal team who will achieve you know, amazing things. And we did that because people like John McGinnis back in the day. Mm. So I, if I went right back to it, that would have been the catalyst was the the attention that he gave me in yeah. terms of he could see something in me and he's still a mentor to me today um a phenomenal man but yeah and that started me on that journey yeah and it just like it was almost like a, an addiction to leadership right yeah awesome yeah so that was really comfortable and then as i fine-tuned over the years i actually did an exercise quite a few years ago to decide like you know, what, what do I want to be known for in terms of, you know, we start sitting there to find my own sense of my own meaning to my own life. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've done a lot of great work helping people and, and, and that's been phenomenal. But I, I wanted to really dive into it, Brendan, and find out, you know, what was I most passionate about in all of this leadership stuff? Yeah, I was, I was going to ask this. Because yeah. obviously, you know, you've written a book, you yep. speak on this, you coach on leadership. Yep. That obviously you just told me about your first introduction to all yep. this that, that led you to focus on... Um, you know, develop, developing others, but what was the real sort of tipping point when you thought, this is it, this is what I want to go and do? Yeah, no, absolutely. you were working in the bank before, and yeah. now you're doing this. Yeah, well, I went in the bank, and I, I, I climbed the ladder as far as I could because I didn't have a piece of paper at the time. Yeah. You know, that said I have a degree or anything. So I actually went to do my um, MBA. I started my MBA because I thought if I need to continue working in the bank, then I need to have a piece of paper apparently yeah um, and so I started my MBA and uh, one of my university lecturers uh, said to me toward the end of the last semester or whatever of uh, my first year in my MBA I think it was my economics lecturer I remember, he was a really good guy he said Dave most of the stuff you're learning today will be out of date in five and ten years mm. and I looked at the stuff that we're doing and I'm like well we've been doing this at Bank West for over five years now I'm like so it's already out of date so what am I doing here yeah. and I started thinking like am I just doing I was just doing this to for what reason? And it started me questioning why I was doing all this stuff. So, and that's when actually I said, "Look, I need to find something else." Mm. Like, like I, I'm not. Did you withdraw from the MBA? Yeah, well, I finished. I finished my year and I got my uh, executive certificate of management for right. doing one year of my MBA. Yes. Um, and, and not to, to knock uh, higher education, it, I think it's valuable in many places. Just in that situation for me, it made me realize that um, I've already learned so much outside of a structured. Uh, learning process, if you yes. like, uh, in terms of uh, tertiary academics. And I said, well, where else can I go learn? And I thought, well, you know what, I need to take a chance on life here. And that's when I saw this ad for, they were looking for leadership development consultants for a bank in New Guinea. I mm-hmm. thought, okay, banking's somewhat, a little bit of comfort, so I could stretch. And this is what I, I, I talked to people about. Instead of stepping outside your comfort zone, I encourage you to stretch and push the boundaries of your comfort zone yes. and start bringing your stuff in mm. rather than saying stepping out and getting scared. Yes. How do we start pushing the boundaries of our comfort zone and expanding super, it? It's a super pioneering person to do that. Well, thank you. Right. I never thought. No, I mean, no, go right outside. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah well, it's, sometimes it's scary as heck when you do that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's why most people will then jump back in. So I think, well, what if we actually could just push and expand our comfort zones yes. and, and you know and allow more in? 
Yeah, I like rather that. than saying stepping right out. So this is one thing, you know, helping people um, reframe. Uh, one of the things I do with my clients is help them reframe the way they look at things. Mm. And so you could say, well, it is still doing that. But, I, but in their mind, you go, yeah, well, I could stretch my boundaries and push that out and bring something in rather than stepping out. Mm. So I pushed my boundaries. And I thought, okay, banking still, so I'm still comfortable in that space. But I'm going to go become a leadership development consultant because it's something I'm passionate about. And then I'd never been to New Guinea, just jumped on a plane with my wife and uh, son, who was 18 months old, and we moved to Papua New Guinea and uh, started working with the national people there and the expatriates there. And, like, you know, at that stage of life, I was, what, 33, I think, at that time. And in that 12 to 14 months, I learned more about human behavior mm. than I'd ever learned, although oh, I'd learned all the how the mind works and stuff like that. Yeah. But actually practically ap- applying that with people who are perceived to have the inability to to change or do anything different. I was told when I landed in New Guinea that, Dave, just be safe, have a good time. You can't teach these people anything. After two weeks, they'll be back doing what they've always done. Just just make it look like you're doing the right thing. That was my first speech from the executives when I landed. That's very empowering. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. So I said, well, you know, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I came here to do a job, and I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities. Um, and then I took all the stuff that I learned and worked with the national people. And, you know, I already knew intuitively, but it's, they have the same gray matter that you and I have. Yeah. You know, and, and so if I showed you something, two weeks later, you'd be back doing the same thing you were always doing too. Um, but you would be worse because you have had historically all the educational over the hundreds and hundreds of years and, and things like that, where this is something that's only happened to the national people in New Guinea probably for the last 50 years. Yeah. So we're trying to compare, you know, generations mm. of a different type of education and applying that to people who may have only had access to this for the last 50, 20 years, whatever it might be. Yeah. So when I put it like that, and I go, okay, no, I'm just working from this perspective. And in 12 months, we had massive transformations and some of the people yeah. there. And I'm still friends with them today, some of the, the national people, thanks to places like Facebook and things like yes. that. Um, yeah, and it's been phenomenal. That? So that was that was huge for me in terms of like, then that's when I got the bug. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. On. Yeah. Uh, and then I left New Guinea, went back to Canada. And uh, then I was thinking, well, I might find a job where I can do this sort of stuff. But what I actually came across was an opportunity to have my own license for an international um, personal and organizational development company called Leadership Management International. So sold my house in Australia, took the profits from that and bought my license to um, become, it's like a franchise, but it was like a license arrangement with that organization and then started building my own personal and organizational development business over in Canada. And then I was just all in. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was awesome. Um, And, you know, obviously then I got to learn more about process and business structure and things like that through that organization uh, and further enhance and deepen my skills in terms of, uh, you know, human behavior, organizational behavior and strategy and all these sorts of things Um, and phenomenal success. And and, uh, the most important success to me is that um, I was the first licensee in Canada to ever have three Canadian clients of the year in a row. And two of those went on to win world clients of the year out of 60 different countries. All the, the winners from each country got put in. And first licensee to have two back-to-back international like world clients of the year. Wow. Yeah. Um, and once again, it was awesome and an honor to be a catalyst in that process, but testament to the results that they got and the work that they were doing. And when I saw that, it, it sort of certainly increased my confidence and my ability to help people get results. Um, and that's what I was all about. 
And then that's where the funny thing happened because I was so excited about my clients' results and cared more about them in terms of them getting their goals and I cared about what I was making from it. I knew if I took care of my clients and the people and all that, I'd win anyway. As a byproduct. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's, way, and that's part of the way I work with people today. Is, mm. But the personal and organizational development industry back in those days in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I'd always go back to the, to the, the licensed meetings and all that sort of stuff and they say, how many boxes did you sell this week? Hmm. And I'm like, well, hang on, should we not be thinking about how many client results we've got and things like that? And just, well, no, I wanna, you, you haven't sold enough boxes this week. I said, but look at the client results. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Is this, <laughs> and you know, and you know, apart from the antiquated processes and things like that. And I'm like, you know what, uh, I'm out. If this is what it's about, then I went out on my own and I developed my own tools and my own programs and my own thing and, yeah. and doing a lot of great work in that space. And it was wonderful for me because it once again, it forced me to, okay, what's my way? Yes. You know, because I, I was adapting some of the tools and products that they were to give me anyway, which they weren't happy about because I was Ooh, yeah. not doing it the way they wanted me to do it. Yes. But look at the results. Yeah. Look at the results the clients were getting. That speaks to themselves. You know, a sales leader of the year for them, all that sort of stuff. But apparently that the way I was mm. going about it, they weren't happy about it. Um, which is fine, and that's just where the industry was because there was a whole bunch of other organizations like that at that stage. Because mm. I looked at other organizations, well, I might jump into this organization, and everyone I looked at was the same thing. You know, are you how many boxes are you going to sell? How many? You know, like, it's, hang on, we're talking about achieving goals and success and things like that, and all you're worried about is how much money am I going to make you? Hmm. And I said, that's we're, we're fl- we've got the model back to front. Yes. I know if we solve more problems for more people, yeah. we'll make less money. So worry about that. Clients. So how many? What are you doing to get out there and help more people, Dave? Talk to me like that. Yeah. You know, so anyways, so with that, I went on my own. But the, and it, just as I started building up that and my own brand, and my own reputation, uh, this wonderful thing around the world called the global financial crisis came along. Yes. Right at the same time when my um, uh, now ex-wife decided that she wanted to leave and have her freedom. So it left me with the two kids. I'd already had my own office building, uh, you know, to keep it real. Uh, it was a very tough time. And I had all the, 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 the challenge of all the, the debts and, and to get rid of all the stuff and take care of two kids. And uh, and you know what? Uh, once again, I always work on things. Good thing, bad thing. I don't know. It just is what it is. So at the time, it felt like it was a very bad thing for me. Yes. So at times... You're in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, but in the long run, it's turned out to be one of the greatest things that ever happened for me. <clears throat> Why is that? Because I met my wife. Right. So yeah. I wouldn't have the relationship I have today. And there's no disrespect to my ex-wife. She's a wonderful lady, and she, but she wanted to pursue what she wanted, and that's fine. Mm. Um, it just is what it is. But at the time, when I was going through it all, and then the global financial crisis came, and I had, a lot of my clients were in Tier 1 automotive and, mm. uh, and stuff like that. And Obama just reached in and said, okay, we're pulling all those plants out of southern Ontario, and we're moving them back to the U.S. because he needed to fix the U.S. up, which I totally understand. But 60 to 70% of my client base was wiped out. Now, I'd already started diversifying, so there's a great lesson, was once again is uh, I had all my, well, most of my eggs in that industry basket. Uh, and so there was that, there was this, there was all this sort of stuff. Um, and then it was just a decision that when I, then I met my now wife, who and then brought another son into my life, which was great, but he was 14 at the time, so, um, so we're now half the Brady Bunch. And, uh, and we decided, like, what do we want to do? And uh, our eldest son, from, my wife's from a previous relationship, he decided to join the Canadian Army. And that just left my wife and the, and the two young, young ones, my two young ones. And we said, Bargat, let's go to Australia and see what's happening. So I called up Dad and he said, what crisis? What crisis? You know, because obviously back in 2009, WA was still booming. Yeah. And so we jumped on a plane and moved here. 
and came back. Yeah, but each stage there was some a big life lesson turning point, and yeah. you know, and and like this is what are some of those big life lessons that you picked up? Um, well, when I first is don't ignore the whisper was the first one. The whisper, ah, oh. yeah, you know, yes. Oprah talks about the whisper and all that, and I was ignoring that. Well, I was in the bank and that whole thing, and that's when I went to New Guinea, and then that's when it started getting really loud, and then when I landed in Canada, I was like, okay, dive in. Um, and you know what? It, the whisper didn't mean everything was going to be smooth sailing because I remember that uh, I think we uh, I landed in Canada in June of 1999. Uh, October that same year, moved. I was living with my cousin and his family who were very gracious to host us for a period of time. Then thought about myself, I'm going to do this. I need to get out on my own. So we, we got our own little basement apartment in Canada. And there it was in October. I hadn't even closed a single sale yet. And I'm like, I've got enough money left in the bank to last one more month's rent. And I remember the moment. I mean, uh, sitting there uh, in our basement apartment under a tanning salon, <laughs> right? My office was a storeroom that had the main cistern, like the water pipe for the whole building, the three-story building. So anytime used, anyone used a toilet in the building, it would flush, it would go through right across the top of my desk. And uh, this is, you know, going back. Uh, and uh, there I am thinking, what have I done to my family? And I went and sat in my kid's bedroom. My kids, gosh, they would have been, I'm trying to think about 99. Well, my daughter would have only been a year, not even a year yet, because she was born, she'd only be six months old, and my son would be almost three. Mm. And I just sat on the floor in their bedroom, and I just bawled my eyes out. And I looked at them and said, what have I done to my family here? And I'm just like, I was like literally in tears. And I said, I've got to quit, got to get a job. This is ridiculous. Um, I can't do this to my family. And then you know those moments where you just sit there, and you just sit in silence and that, and all of a sudden, this thing went into my head. And it's like, what are you teaching them if you quit? Wow. And I'm like, well, you know, what is it? It's because you're not practicing what you preach. You're not, you're, you're talking about, you know, if you want to have more in life, then you need to be more in life. And therefore, you need to work, okay, if I be more, what would I need to do to achieve these things to be that person? And so what you're saying is you're, you're staying as, as you are instead of saying, what do I need to do to be more? Mm. Who do I need to become to actually drive these results so that, and what behaviors would I need to demonstrate and what thinking would drive those behaviors? The same thing I worked with my clients on, I wasn't even doing or preaching to facilitate and coach my clients through. And that's, uh, that was the turning point for me. And yeah. then that's when I developed my own sales process, my own methodology of how I would go out and work with clients and everything like that and make it all about them and put everything ahead of them. Cause I was, once again, I was hungry. I needed a, and nobody buys from somebody who's hungry. Yes. You can tell when somebody's, yeah. you know, you, you care more about yourself than you do about me. It's like the last desperate person in a disco. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> take what you can get, right? It's like, uh, um, and then usually there's nothing. <laughs> there, um, and so for me, it was, yeah, it's like, no, Dave, you have to let go of all that and go make it all about the customers and the clients and the, the people that you're there to serve. Yeah. And that was that was a, like a switch that flipped to me. And then the very next year, I was sales of the year, had the first Canadian client, the world client, and everything just changed from that. Mm. Um, and that's when, you know, so that was like, that was one of the lessons. Um, and then obviously going through everything in, the, in terms of the demise then again is don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, and things like that. So I learned from that. And then, uh, you know, then obviously coming back here, when I came back here to Australia, instead of, I, I thought about, well, should I continue my leadership practice here? And I thought, you know what, here's a chance to actually roll your sleeves up and get dirty and back in the trenches again. So I started applying for a couple of different jobs. Um, and actually I got an opportunity to 
um, there was back when Westpac were bringing back the bank manager and they were looking for um, entrepreneurs to run their branches because they wanted to bring back the bank manager, which turned out to be a bit of a big marketing campaign. <laughs> and all the stuff the banks are going through today is all part of what was starting back then. So, yeah. um, But I did that and we had phenomenal success in the, and uh, that's how I ended up in Geraldton because the, the opportunity was in Geraldton uh, to take over that, that branch of the, of, the, of the bank. And we took it from where it was not performing whatsoever in any way it should to number one full service branch in the state. We took it to number four in the country, like so of all the branches, wow. number four full service branch in all the country, 167% of plan and all this, and that wasn't good enough. Um, and so they expected us to do more. And at that stage, I'm like, you know what, Bali's, I'm out. <laughs> I tapped out again. It's been a good time. Yeah, but then a bunch of the, there was a bunch of um, clients in the branch there who saw the great work we were doing, who ran a not-for-profit, and they said, Dave, um, we'd love you to come lead our not-for-profit. It's in big trouble. Right in the peak mm. of the boom, it's losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. The culture is all bad. We have no strategy. And I thought, you beauty, here we go. Here's my chance to run an organization again um, and be able to do all those things I used to do with my clients, but put it back into practice myself. Mm. And so I could roll up my sleeves and become a practitioner again. And to prove that I wasn't just one of those who couldn't do teaches. Mm. And that was really important to me because I didn't want to get that perception that I was that. So I took over the organization, and which was losing hundreds of thousands of dollars in its year. I took over in May, and that June filing was like ridiculous losses. Um, but within the next 12 months, we were back to $1,500 loss. Next month, sorry, next year we broke even. And then the financial crisis hit Australia. Yes. Um, which is fine, but we still kept going and we, we survived. And now that organization's merged with another one and it's, it's fantastic. But while I was doing that, then I was actually able to put into print. I'd found my voice. I'd found my message. I'd actually, because the organization was almost running itself whether I was there or not, which is what I work, I help my, uh, my clients with is, you know, you can work in your business, you can work on your business. I want to help you work out of your business. Yes. So that your business will create an organization that will thrive whether you're there or not. Mm. So it organically grows without you. And then you can only add value to that when you're there. And if you choose not to be there, then you can choose not to. Or if you want to sell it, it's more valuable and all that. Or you can just keep it running. Mm. Um, but I've got that organization, that space. And then people started asking me if I could come speak at conferences. And then that's, how did you do it? What were you doing? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so then I just started traveling around Australia, speaking at all these conferences. And then with that, said, okay, I finally found my voice and my message because then I put it into the book. And I got to a stage where I talked to the board and said, look, you know what, me, it's pointless me staying here. And, you know, this is where the organization needs to go. It doesn't need me anymore. Yeah. And just went out on my own. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Mm. How long have you been doing that for? Um, I guess 100% out on my own probably the last six months, seven yeah. months. Because um, I was still leading that organization right up through to the end of June last year. Uh, but once again, I'm outside of that and my commitment was to that organization to make sure it, it did what it needed to do. Um, I'd still been 12 months prior to that developing clients and that. and I was doing a lot more speaking then. So I've been out of my own doing a lot of speaking, but my business now working with clients has been since end of June last year. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And it's just snowballing. So one of the, I noticed from looking at some of the content that you put out, yep. you make a big focus on purpose-driven yes. leadership. What does purpose mean to you? Yeah, certainly. Well, purpose is, well, I explain it to the people I work with, is the problem you're most passionate about solving in the world. Mm. And when I say the world, 
you don't have to be the Elon Musk and want to transform the whole world. It's your world. Whatever you yeah. see is your world. It could be your industry, your demographic, your geographic. I don't care. However you define your world. Mm. But what your purpose is, what's the problem you're most passionate about solving? There's a lot of problems you might want to solve, but it's the one you're most passionate about solving. Um, and the reason I say that is because if you look at passion, most people think it's some form of, oh, you got to love your work and all this sort of stuff. Mm. But we misinterpret passion in that sense. Mm. Passion actually... It's a word that gets banded around a lot. Yeah. But when, when, I, when I share with people is passion is actually your ability to endure suffering. If you go back to the root of the word passion or the etymology of the word passion is, you know, passion of the Christ. It's passion means suffering. Mm. So if you imagine if you're an entrepreneur, you have a business out there and you want to solve this problem, but you're not passionate about it. And if things get tough, what are you likely to do? Mm. You're most likely to give up. give up. So then would that really be your purpose? Your purpose is the one thing you won't give up on. Mm. You'll find a way. You'll endure all the suffering you need to to solve this problem for people in the world. That's purpose. Right? And that's why I say it has to have passion and not the lovey-dovey. Mm. Well, there is moments of that, but you need to have the endurance. Mm. And that's where it comes in. The endurance to solve that. Like you, No matter what, you're going to find a way to solve this problem for people. Mm. And Relentless you need that. is a word that's coming to mind. Sorry? Relentless. Relentless, yeah, mm. absolutely. Tenacity, courage, mm. you name it, all this sort of stuff, to see it through. Because what's going to happen is you might solve that, you find the way to solve that problem for people today, Bryn. But guess what's going to happen in a year's time? They're going to want their problem solved in a different way. Mm. And so then you're going to have to find a new how and a new what for that why. So your why won't change, but how you do it and what you do can and will always change. You know, I, I, in a lot of my keynotes around Australia, I use um, like the iPod. When Steve Jobs threw the iPod out at us and he said, I'm going to put 10,000 songs in your pocket. Like this is the most amazing thing, mm. right? The iPod just turned 17 years old. Only 17 years ago. Yeah. Do you still listen to music on a singular music playing only device? Not at all. Not at all. Right? So very few people do. So you can imagine, but we still listen to music. We still have music. We have our why for music, which is to soothe our soul or whatever it might be. Mm. But how you listen to music today and what you listen to probably has and will change. As new music evolves and things like that, still some of the classics, like I'll still always listen to Elvis. Right, yeah. but uh, my taste in music is evolving as well, mm -hmm. and how I choose to listen to music has changed. But why I listen to music has never changed. So this is why we went from back in my days eight tracks to cassettes to the CDs, well, CD one to the boom boxes to the yeah. to the MP3 to the iPod to now it's uh, Spotify it's or whatever it is yeah. streaming. But why hasn't changed? Mm. And so if we understand that in a business context, it's the same thing. The, the why you do what you do will never change. Mm. When you get it right, and it's the one you're most passionate about, and then you'll have to find a new device to help people listen to music and new types of music for them to listen to. But why they listen to it won't change. I, That's purpose. It's interesting because I've had, um, I had a chap called Dan DePani on the podcast hmm. about a year ago um, who talked about purpose. He is hmm. a he originally lived in Perth. Yep. Went to live in a um, Hindu monastery on, in Hawaii for 10 years. Wow. And and now talks on global stages. Mm -hmm. uh, again, he came back to find your purpose, find your why, find your purpose, find your why. And so it's it's been very um, a conscious thing for me. Mm. But in, in, cons in considering even what my own why is, 
it's interesting to look around and, and spot others who are driven by their why in a conscious way. Yep. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they seem to be few and far between. Yeah, I got a lot of work to do. What, why is that? <laughs> why is that? <laughs> you know, because I think uh, like, uh, globally, yeah. um, greed. Greed. We've been more interested in how much money can we make mm. rather than why we make money. We're more interested in how we make money rather than why we make money. Mm. And, and have a look at this, okay? So in the last 12 months, Sears filed for bankruptcy. One of the largest retailers in the world in its time, the Sears Tower in Chicago, you name it, yeah. has now filed for bankruptcy. Toys R Us, the largest retailer of toys in the world last year, filed for bankruptcy. Yes. Dick Smith. Yep. You know, Monster.com, massive loss of earnings, still struggling, but I don't even know if it's going to survive. All these organizations either have gone bankrupt or had massive loss of earnings because they were all, I mean, you can go right back to Kodak. Um, yes. And these are the, and, and I use those big examples because these were the largest organizations in the world in their industry, or if not the world, the totally largest organization in the world, had all the talent, all the resources, all the money, all the intelligence, yeah. you name it, and they still failed. Had everything at their disposal. Everything. So yeah. small business, any small business owners who are listening, and you think, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have that. These guys had it all. Yeah. And they still failed. Because what happens, there's a tipping point in your organization. Mm. Is, you know, start off, like, there's the, the business of your organization is your purpose. It's solving problems for people and finding one you're most passionate about solving, right? Yes. But there comes a point in an organization as it starts to grow and scale that it goes, well, I need to start focusing on the organization of my business for the shareholders. Mm. And all of a sudden, we're taking our eye off the business of our organization for the sake of organizing our business. And that to me is when you start shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. Mm. You've hit the iceberg. And you don't even know it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And those organizations took their eye off why their business existed. And Kodak is a, is a wonderful example. And all these organizations are wonderful examples. But what really grates my nerves is the fact that in hindsight, it's easy to look at those. We weren't leading those organizations at the time. I empathize with those mm. guys. But today we have no excuse because we have how many more lessons have we seen? Yet we're still doing it. Yeah. We're not. We're refusing to learn from this, you know, feed the shareholders. You know, make it how much more? How can we make mm. more money? How can we make more money? How can we make more money? How, rather yeah. than saying, why do we make money? Yes. <laughs> and we don't make money for the shareholders. We make money because we solve problems for people. So let's not take our eyes off of that. And so I think a lot more organizations today are starting to understand that. And then the second part of that is, and this is where if you really want to have an amazing organization is, how many people do you think jump out of bed in the morning and go, gee, I can't make, wait to make the boss rich today? <laughs> right. But if we help them have a greater sense of purpose or meaning to the work that they're doing, mm. and one of my clarisms, my little clear quirky quotes that I have, is that people want their lives to be more meaningful. So our job as purpose-driven leaders is to give them work that's meaningful, like full yeah. of meaning. Yes. So if they get out of bed and say, I can't wait to get up and do this and solve this or participate in this today, imagine how that person will perform at work rather than saying, Man, boss makes a dollar, I make a dime. This is why I poop on company time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is what's happening. That uh, purpose inspires or engages people in ways that profit never will. Mm. So if you want to, and, and I think it was... Um, E.Y. Ernst and Young have done a, did a survey. It was the last year or the year before, uh, and they're very much focused on helping 
organizations be purpose-driven. Uh, their study said that in all the organizations that they reviewed, that ones that were had a, a strong sense of purpose throughout the organization, their employees were 1.4 times more productive than ones that were just profit-focused. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. If you're really interested in making lots of money and profit, if I told you you could have a 40% increase in your productivity, it wouldn't cost you a penny, would you be interested in that? Very much so. Yeah. What would a 40% increase in productivity... Bugger it. What would a 20% increase in your productivity at no cost look like in terms of results you'd be getting? Mm. So tell me again why you don't want to be purpose-driven. Mm. One of the questions I have for you is, yeah. how do you sell this? And you know, you just answered that question. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, and, and what I do is I, I take people on a journey from purpose to profits. Yes. It's like a lot of work I say is like, uh, you know, I show them how to hack culture and strategy, how to develop leadership strength, which is like bench strength of the organization, the depth of leadership in their organization, yeah. um, how to build that invincible culture, and how to drive profitability on purpose. Right? And on that's, purpose. yes, it's yeah. all from purpose first. So, and organizations that are f- predominantly focused on profits and shareholders, things like that, for them to go, okay, we're just going to become purpose driven is a challenge. So, to me, it's like what I, what I do is I help them build a bridge from purpose to profit so they can see the connection and how mm. to get from one to the other. Mm. Because they're not just going to go, okay, we're giving up on profits and we're just going to focus on purpose. That's wrong too. Yes. But profits ahead of purpose is wrong. Yes. Purpose first drives profits. And this is why I say purpose drives. Purpose drives engagement. Purpose drives profitability. Purpose drives everything. And that's like the motivation for your organization. Um, yeah. So if you want to get an increase in your, have a fully engaged, can you imagine if you had a fully engaged workforce? a fully empowered workforce, and a fully inspired workforce. What level of performance and productivity would you be getting out of that organization? And if I could show you how to do that without costing you any more in terms of like what you're doing right now, but to show you how to take the tools you either have or help you refine the tools you have or help you develop tools you don't have yet that would allow you to do that, that's those, what I do. Are those tools within the people or within the organization in terms of processes? And stuff? The tools. So coming right back to our beginning of our conversation, the tools to give mm. people the three things that they want. Yeah. So if, you, if your employees had something to believe in in your business and they had someone who believed in them, who empowered them and trusted them to make smarter decisions, yeah. and they believed in you that you were an inspiring leader and had this really big picture of the world, you'll have a fully empowered, fully engaged, and fully so, inspired workforce. And so that is having a purpose for your organization, which is something to believe in. Yep. That drives people to get out of bed every morning, including yourself. Then you have a set of values of your organization, which will guide you in fulfilling that purpose. And that's empowering your team then to make smarter decisions, taking them from where they're thinking today to the unique thinking of your business. And how do we coach them every day to help them make smarter decisions? And if they're making smarter decisions, how many more decisions do you have to make? Yeah. Less. Less. Right? Therefore, you have to be less involved, but you know that you can trust your people because they're making the right decisions through how we think around here, not what to think. Yes. Um, and then with that, then, if you uh, have a vision of the world, and a vision is to inspire people of a picture of what the world's going to look like when we're fulfilling this purpose through these values that's far greater than any of us combined, all of a sudden you've got this amazingly inspired group of people like, this is the world we're creating. And then all you have to do then is reverse engineer that and say, what kind of business do we need to build that's going to start creating that world? And get everybody rallied around creating that business. Mm. Right? Because this way then, everybody answers to the purpose, and the purpose answers to the customer. Because it's a customer-centric purpose, because we're there to passionately solve this problem for our customers. So all I need to do is rally everybody around this sense of purpose to build this organization that's going to create that world. And then that's where your mission of your organization comes in, and saying, okay, what's the mission of this business? Well, business is a series of evolutions. 
Mm-hmm. So my, my job as a, as a leader, a purpose-driven leader, is to build an organization that will create that world. So what does that evolution look like three years from now? And say, we need to become this or whatever it might be. And then say, okay, in two years, what do we need to do to show we've done that? Next 12 months, what do we need to do? And then what I work them down to is in the next 90 days, what do we need to do in the next 90 days to start building that organization? So everybody's focused on objectives, key results, performance indicators, but all in total alignment. So we design that framework, the cultural framework. Then we align the strategic framework. We yep. build the tactical framework. And then we just measure the performance framework. But it was all built in alignment. So you've got this organization that delivers the three things that people want. You have the tools to do it. Yep. And then all you need to do is take all that together and build the organization that's going to make that a reality. That everybody wants to be a part of. That's how simple it is. Who are your typical clients? Um, small to medium enterprises. Yes. And so, like, you know... Um, and it, I don't like to work in, you know, people say, oh, people drive $5 million to $50 million in revenue. To me, it's all yeah. about people. Yeah. Um, you know, because all this stuff, so the Royal Commission that's going on right now, Bryn, right? So there's, in, and like the leaders of the banks, obviously the NAB or whatever it was, Commonwealth Bank, the, the CEO of that said, it's going to take 10 years to change the culture of banking in Australia. Like, what a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. What that tells me, either you don't have the ability to do it or the desire to do it. Yeah, you're not the job. You're not, or not, yeah, so you're, therefore, you're not the right person to make that transformation. If you can't transform that bank in the next two to three years, then you're not the right people. Mm. right? Or you really don't want to. You're just saying that so you can drag it out and you have no interest in it. Mm. Keep it like it is. Keep it like it is, but just appease people, right? Mm. Um, but, and so people said, why don't you go work at the banks? And I said, well, okay, so vertically there's 10,000 people. And that'd be awesome because I can impact the lives of 10,000 people and so on. But I'd rather work horizontally through the small to medium enterprise market because overall they employ more people than one vertical organization does. Yes. And for me, um, and I don't share this too often, but I have a, my own goal is to create and inspire 90 million purpose-driven leaders. All right? And that's, that number has been scientifically calculated. All right? And I'll mm. happily share with that. But if I want to do that because I think there's... Million. Purpose-driven leaders yep. around the globe, um, and you know that's my big, hairy, audacious goal. If you want to, for using a BHAG term, now do I think I can do that all by myself? No. no. But the work I do, which hopefully then inspires other people who are doing similar things to me, will help do that, and therefore will create more purpose-driven leaders. Mm. Because I actually see a world where all businesses are led on purpose first. You know, like imagine when we could just say purpose, not 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 without profit, but just led on purpose first. Yes. Um, and imagine we could see that world 10 years from now where every business was, and therefore all these people who got to work had more sense of meaning to their lives. And they just felt a little bit better about their own lives. And when they went home, how would that be with their relationships with their spouse, their Absolutely. kids, their families, their community, their churches, their you name it, whatever. Relationships right. And so if we could just add that, tweak that little bit of sense of meaning to the work that they're doing for 900 million people, because 90 million leaders would probably on a 10 to 1 ratio would probably be about 900 million employees mm-hmm. around the world. And those old people went home feeling a little bit better about the work that they were doing. And we had this little ripple effect across the world. You would shift the consciousness of the planet. Because all the studies that were done by Gallup and Deloitte mm-hmm. in the last couple of years about workplace engagement and things like that showed that in 142 countries, 900 million employees, approximately 70% of the workforce, are disengaged in the work that they're doing. Mm. So if you're disengaged in the one-third of your life that you're doing, yes. and you go home... Given that in the other third, you're probably asleep. Yeah, and the other third, you're asleep, and then you go home, and you're miserable about the work, or you're not, not even miserable, you're just unhappy about it. Mm. 
And then you then that impacts other areas of your life. And we wonder why mental health is on the rise, depression, workplace bullying and harassment, all this sort of stuff that's happening because people are unhappy at work. Yes. Where they spend one third of their lives. So if we could just tweak that one percent in the opposite direction hmm. and had a ripple effect of that, that would shift the consciousness. And that's why, to me, I need to work. That's why I picked the number 90 million because of the 900 million on a 10 to 1 ratio. I thought, oh, there's got to be about 90 million people. I've got work to do. Yeah. And I have a big goal, which then is why then once I had a big goal and I had my voice and my message, which is then why I chose to write the book, because I can do one to one. I can do one to many when I speak on stage. But how do I do one to exponential? Yes. So I needed to write a book. And that's when I chose to write the book. So it's all been science and method to all this madness. To the goal. Yeah, to the goal. Yeah. And this one's again. So if you have a big, hairy edition, I was inspired by that goal, forced me to think differently at a different level. Um, excuse me, big, so big thinking requires big actions and things like that. So it shifted the way I think about things, which then shifted the way I, I do things. Um, and then that's the thought, damn it, I need to write this book. I need to get it finished. Because mm. I've been dabbling with it for years. Yes. But it was only because I wasn't, I didn't have all the pieces together, which was... That in terms of once I once I laid out that big goal, I'm thinking now the book has a reason. It has a, it had a purpose already in terms of why it was about, but it became more powerful when I attached it to a big goal. Mm. Yeah, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. <laughs> why did you say crazy stuff? Well, it's just to me. It's just like I, like crazy in terms of good. Like it's not like insane crazy. It's just like it's <clears throat> it's crazy because it's so simple. It is, but. We want to complicate things as human beings. We do. Yeah. And, and that, that's where to me it's like, it's crazy. It's like, why, why do we complicate all this stuff when it's actually this simple? Like when I actually sit down, I have a template. I sit down with business leaders or owners or entrepreneurs and say, and I just show them how it's done. It's like, oh my God, like that is so easy. It's so mm -hmm. simple. I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's do it. What are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> the hardest part Something is actually <laughs> is, is, is the habits, attitudes, and beliefs, that, the, all the stuff that we have, the self-limiting yeah. uh, other things that are holding us where we are. Because yeah. human beings aren't wired for change. No. Quite, yes. Right? Yeah. And so this is where like, it's, it's crazy because once again, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting yeah. a new result. Exactly. That's where the crazy comes in because once you even see it, now you know how easy it can be, yet you still keep doing mm. That's, that's the point where you have to dive into what is the belief that I'm holding <coughs> about myself that yeah. makes this bit all right yeah. and not move to that bit. Mm. Because some people are afraid to let go of what they know, even if they don't like what they know. Because mm. at least they yeah. know I don't like the direction my business is heading. I don't like the amount of hours I have to put in to get the results I'm getting, everything like that. But they still won't let go of what they know to get, you know, and this is, I guess, like when Jim Collins talks about from good to great and all these yes. sorts of things is, are you willing to give up the good for the great? And unfortunately, as human beings aren't wired for change, most likely not. Mm. So once again, from a reframing point of view, and this is really important, imagine if we pulled in 20 people from a company, okay? It was me and you, we're the CEOs of the co-CEOs of this organization. We've got 20 people lined up on a table around us. Our team are going, we're going to implement a change management program. Yeah. The what do you think the team are going to say? Roll eyes. Roll eyes. Oh, yeah. my God, here we go. I'm going to lose my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does this mean? Right. Um, and we know business is a series of evolutions. This business wasn't the same as it was five years ago, 10 years ago, and so on. But if we put all those 20 people in the room again, and we sat down and said, okay, everybody, what do you think the next evolution of our business is? 
what response would we get from our team from asking that question? Bigger one. People start thinking like, hmm, don't know. They'd be more engaged in, in, in contribution to that. But we're ultimately asking them, or instead of telling them we're going to change, we're asking them what the evolution looks like. Mm. So, because people aren't wired for change. So if you know people aren't wired for change, then stop talking about changing your organization. But we all evolve as human beings. Yes. We understand evolution as a process. We've all evolved and we continue to evolve. Um, so talk about it in those terms. The business is just all of us humans together. So if one as, a, as an individual needs to evolve, we continue to evolve. Well, our um, entity, which is, you know, our, if our proprietary limited is as a company, it, it can sue and be sued like a person is treated like a person under law. Well, apply those human behavioral principles to the organization the same way and say, what's the next evolution of this business? And then all of a sudden people want to be a participant in that. And so that's how we help break through the insanity. Mm. But it is crazy. It is because we can see it, we know it. It's crazy, but why it's crazy, do we? Stupid, simple. <laughs> Absolutely, and Claire, it is. Crystal Claire. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, I myself in several areas of my life, when when I've spent time, and you know, there's this. <clears throat> we have this. I, I've, I've realized now that we have this addiction to busyness now, and um, like I've, I've, I've likened it on the podcast before to the modern day silent crack. <laughs> you know oh. everyone's addicted to busy what yeah. have you been up to busy it's like what have you been busy yeah. um, it's, it's, it's busy 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 but often you know there, there have been times in my life when rather than go do I've sat and done nothing mm-hmm. and to the outside observer it's done nothing yeah sometimes for months and then all of a sudden the one big domino falls and it's like now I've got yeah. it. Yeah. And then the speed of action from there and the direction of action mm. means that, yeah, a lot of other people around me may well have, you know, gone forwards with a few things. But boof, I shall just zoom. Right. Are you familiar with, uh, familiar with bamboo theory? No. So bamboo grows underground for five years right. before it breaks the surface. And then it just goes, shoo, shoots straight up. Right. Right. So... You know, and it's like, be like bamboo. Be like right? bamboo. So it builds a very solid foundation, everything behind the scenes first. Yes. And then it just grows like crazy. Yes. And also think, oh, people think, oh, bamboo is just like, it just goes nuts. Yeah. But it was growing underground for five years first. Yeah. And, you know, they still use bamboo as scaffolding in many Asian countries today because it's still that True. strong, right? Yeah. So what you were doing there is you were being like bamboo. Mm, I like that. Right? You like bamboo. Yeah. Bryn Bamboo, keeping it real. <laughs> Thank you very much. So we've talked yeah. about um, finding purpose within yeah. an organization. Yep. Um, to the individual that's listening to this. Yes. How does an individual go upon that journey of finding their purpose? Exact same way. Is, you know, like, and this is, I'll go back to school. Yeah. So when you're in school, the teacher or your, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? Oh, I know you hate that question, but this is what you get asked, right? And even today, we still like, oh, what do you want? And we're that training kids. Me to ignore the outside okay, yeah. world for a couple of years. <laughs> we're training kids today for jobs that won't exist. Yes. Okay. Um, anyway, so we said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this was back in my days. I'm, um, yeah. I'm one of the first Gen Xers, right? Just missed out being a baby boomer, which is great. Now I'm one of the first Gen Xers, the forgotten generation. The, um, <laughs> uh, but it's, that was the sort of thing. And even today, it still happens. 
What if we ask kids today, what problem do you see that you'd like to solve in the world? Because kids are creative and intuitive and innovative and just naturally, but mm. we're, we're, we're finding ways to condition that right out of them. But what if we actually opened that up and said, what well, you know, and start asking kids what problem would they like to solve in the world? Yeah. And it's the same thing for you in terms of an individual and how I found my own personal purpose. Um, you know, I have a, for my circle leadership, my organization, it has its own purpose, yes. which is to advance society through enabling purpose-driven organizations. Right? Mm. But my own personal purpose as Dave Clare yes. is uh, basically is I help people become the profit of their purpose, as in the PH profit, yeah. so they can profit from their purpose. Yes. And a prophet is an inspired teacher of a cause, calling, or movement. Mm. So I want you to become the inspired teacher of your own cause, calling, or movement, and which is saying, do what you love doing, what you're passionate about, and you'll make money from it. Yes. Right? So the problem I see in the world that I want to solve personally is to help individuals start doing more of what they love. That, that When I talk about love, I'm talking about that passion level that they're willing to endure through. Um, and they'll make money from that if they have the endurance. Most people who don't make money saying, I was doing what I love, but I didn't make any money. It's because you didn't have the endurance necessary. Hmm. Therefore, I would say it was not what you're most passionate about, or you were too broad in terms of the problem that you wanted to solve. I was speaking with a friend last night who's been visiting, and um, she does a lot of online business, which is great. And we're talking about you know, really niching into things in the space that she wants. And she just loves the whole camping and tiny house thing, but she has this broad kitchenware, pro which is phenomenal products. Like, and I said, well, you're trying to do this for everybody, but you want to just help these people in, in micro spaces and things like that. That's you've got to be passionate about that one thing and yes. go all in on that one thing. Right. But when you're trying to be too many things to too many people, you want to be a generalist for everything. Then that's when you, you don't have the endurance to be, where are you? Yeah. You don't have an endurance to be that. Um, you know, Usain Bolt would be a phenomenal, probably marathon runner thing, but he, he's a sprinter. Yeah. That's his thing. Short distance fast. Yes. Just done. Right. Boom. Right, but he could probably run a whole bunch of athletically. He's capable of doing many things, but that's his specialty. Mm. Focus on that. So, as an individual, so for me, is I wanted people to find out just what problem do you want to solve? Them? You see so many things like if only they did this, and then I want to say which like you make, make me a list of all the things you're really passionate about. So, if you want to find your own personal purpose, make a list of all the problems you see in your world that you're really interested in. Then make a list of all the things that you're really, really passionate about. The things that you would mm. go through hell for. And then somewhere where those two lists collide, right, the intersection of what you're most passionate about and the problems you see in the world lies your purpose. Yes. And I just encourage people to make those two lists and then start looking at saying, wow, yeah, this plus this. And this is how I certainly found mine because I found when I was – all the clients that I worked with, that when that business owner got back in touch with why they started that business in the first place, and it wasn't to make money because that's what most of them will tell you. And anyone listening to this, if people say, oh, I started my business to make money. No, you didn't. You started that business because you saw an opportunity or a problem you could solve and knew you could make money from it. Yes, as a result. Yeah, as a result. So why did you choose that business? Because you, you can make money doing anything. Mm. Why did you choose that one? And that's when you know you... And so when, when the clients actually got switched onto that, it was like, oh my God, it just totally transformed the way they looked at their business. Therefore, yeah. then the ability to engage their teams. And I'm like, holy crap, I need to do more of that. So I need to help people become the profit of their purpose so they can then profit from their purpose. Yeah. And that's the whole thing about building this purpose to profits. And, and that's how I found my own purpose is I made those two lists. Mm. And I just encourage people to do the same thing. 
And then organizationally, I said, okay, as an organization, if I'm building this organization, what problems does it, do I see in the world that I love this organization to solve? Which ones am I most passionate about, which is an extension of my own purpose in terms of what I do? If I want to have that impact the world, I need to build an organization that can do something in that space. Hmm. So I personally want to help the leaders, but the organization helps enable the organization. Yeah. Nothing complicated about it. Straightforward, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, but once again, when we put it there and we look at it, we go, oh, yeah, but we want to we analyze and critique it and do all this sort of yeah, stuff and, and when, challenge it and rip it. It's when cr- your brain overtakes. Yeah. You know, and, and so the, the frontal lobe of your brain there is what the CEO part of your brain. Mm. Um, and I do this a lot when I'm coaching with people is I disconnect that. Because that's the part where you have a thought, then you put it through that, and then you, and you, you don't ask what you should ask. You don't say what you should say. Um, anybody out there wants to get into coaching, you know, if you've done enough work and have enough experience, be intu- more intuitive in terms of you can have a, a physical structure where you want to take people through. But when I listen to things, if a question pops in my brain, I just ask it. Yes. Because my brain has decided that there's an important reason why I need to ask this question. Mm. I might not know what it is. Mm. But I go, oh, but should I ask that? Oh, what if I get offended? them? But, you know, no. <laughs> That's how half the podcasts run. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're, we're freewheeling it here. We're just going yeah. whatever's dropping into our mind, and I'm not judging it. Yeah. And it's the same thing. So don't judge. Also, we start judging. We put something down, we go, we're going to judge it now. Yeah. Like, don't judge it. Just work out what it is. Make those lists, stare at it, read at them, and really start to shorten it down and go, what am I really most passionate about? And when I got most jazzed was when I saw that leader's eyes and I go, wow, that is exactly why we started our business. Mm. I remember... You uh, physically see it. Can't yeah, you? yeah. Like, yeah. Like body and yeah. stature. And- like their whole physiology changes. Yeah. And then I know that's when I got it. And when I get excited by it, I'm like, holy crap, that is it. That is exactly why you exist. That's exactly why your yeah, business yeah, yeah. is here. That's why you started this. Uh, a really great friend of mine now is, was a client of mine for many years. becomes my friend. It just happens that way. Um, Tim Gleason, he had a LTL Expedited Air, a third-party logistics company over there. And he was really the first one I looked at when I was working with him. And he, I still remember his face. He might not, but I remember when we, we sat down, we worked through this exercise with him and his team. Um, he now has hybrid, his, his business has grown and expanded and become hybrid log- logistics. Um, but his purpose, when he realized it as a logistics company that takes people, products from Canada, USA to Mexico, across multiple borders and all that, um, you would think, oh, like, you know, we want to get it from A to B as quickly, as cheaply as possible, right? But he's like, no, no, no. Yeah. The reason why I started this business is because I wanted to create the smartest distance between two points. Mm. And as soon as he spat it out, I'm like, that's it. And he's like, holy crap. That is why this business exists, is to help create the smartest distance between two points for our clients. Not the cheapest, not the fastest, not whatever. Because when you're traveling across multiple borders, it doesn't mean a direct route is the best way to go. Mm. And I said, that's why I started this business. And then once he was able to get everybody in his team hooked into that, this is what we're doing here, people. So when we're looking at this, we need to find what is the smartest. We need to be able to research and check routes and do all this sort of stuff. And the transformation and the service that provided their clients went through mm. the roof. I think it was Scandinavian Airlines where CEO changed the focus of the company from flying planes to moving moving. Passengers. Yeah, yeah. Moments well, of truth. Yeah, um, I worked with a bus company, a school bus company, uh, Sinton Transportation, which has now been bought out after Stan passed away, the the owner. Um, he, and they also did um, touring coaches and all that sort of stuff, probably school bus company, but worked with them, same thing. And what they came up with is, you know, they were safely moving people. That's that's why the business exists, to yes. safely move people. Right? With, with buses, limousines, didn't matter. We're here to make sure people get there safely. Yeah. 
safely moves people. They could have gone into airlines. They could have done whatever. And that's the beauty. Once you get your purpose really clear, it creates opportunities. It doesn't limit your thinking. Mm. Uh, another buddy of mine um, back in Canada, Dr. Steve Rallis, uh, created this thing called Health Score and his wellness doctor. We took him and his, all his Health Score doctors away for um, what I call a strategy advance. I don't like to do retreats. You don't need to run away. We want to move forward. Uh, a little play on words, but to me, it's about mindset again, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we really want to work out why this organization existed. Same thing. And they made the list of all the problems they had and what they were most passionate about. And they could see that most people took action on their health after something had happened. Yes. So they're reactive in terms of that. Um, and that once they had a disease or a problem, you know, and the drug defines the disease and they got labeled or whatever, but they were most passionate about preventative and proactive and lifestyle and all that. So when they looked at where they intersected, they found that their real purpose, why their, the wellness doctor existed was to save lives ahead of time. Cause people, most people took actions on their life when they were fear of death. Yes. And what they want to do then is save lives ahead of time. Mm. And that's why. So everything they do now, hang on, will this save lives ahead of time? If they're going to bring something else into their business. Now they have naturopath, massage therapy, IV drip, you name it, all this sort of stuff that is preventative and proactive, which saves lives ahead of time before you get to the risk. Yes. And that created all this wonderful opportunity for them to grow and expand their business. Because they really got to understand why they actually got into what they're doing. Like when you get that, it's so powerful, Brent. It's just nuts. Mm. And how much easier do you think it would be to like recruit people into an organization that does that. I think the big thing that stands out to me as well, and I've, I've seen it in some of the organizations I've worked in where they go after everything and Mm. there's a lot of power in being able to go, no, we're not going after that because that's not what this is about. Yeah. And that in itself helps to delineate. This is what we do do as well as what we don't do. Yeah. Not chasing that just for profit. Absolutely. Because it helps you to say what to say yes to and what to say no to. Mm. She's equally. Yeah. And once again, and this is the whole point when I help, you know, in terms of you get that purpose, you get your values, you get your vision, you get your mission. So you got a purpose that drives, values that guide, vision inspires, mission evolves. Mm. What I actually have now is a set of decision making filters. Because will it do this? Yes or no? No. Okay, Mm. we don't do it. Or if yes, can we do it in in line with the unique thinking? Does it reject at any of our values? Yeah. If it rejects, no. Yeah. If it fits, great. Will it help us create this world? Yes or no? Mm. Will it, is it part of us building this business right now to do that? It might help us create that world, but is it what matters right now for us to build this business to start creating that world? Yes or no? Mm. And can we do it according to these values? Yeah. So we've already filtered it through our, why our business exists, what's going to guide us in terms of that, the world we're creating, and the business we need to build to make that world happen. And if it is, then it just becomes a cost-benefit analysis of should we do it now? Mm. Or where does it fit in in terms of our strategy and things like that? If it fits into the business we need to build to create that world and it's already met with our values and our purpose, then okay, let's just see where it fits. But if it doesn't, no. Because once again, we see all these things and so many opportunities and it distracts us. And actually, which reminds me, um, actually a lot of work when you talk about people getting their heads into like, you know, we know what we should be doing, and but we're doing this. And and sometimes I've had a couple of clients say, well, this this sounds like it's going to be a distraction to what we're doing. I'm like, oh, interesting. Yeah. So what does the word distraction mean? <laughs> you look at the word distraction again, you break it down. It is actually dis, which is to take away from, and traction, something that moves you. Hmm. Right? So it's, it takes you away from something that moves you. But if you look at the definition in the dictionary, which says um, distraction is uh, something that takes you away from something you should be doing. So I say, okay, if this is what you need to do to build this organization, what's the real distraction? 
what you're actually doing is the distraction. Yes. So what I want to do is help you get traction towards whatever it is instead of being distracted by what you are doing. Mm. And there's another thing I have, uh, one of my other clearisms is, isness is the death of your business. You don't understand, Dave. That's just the way it is around here. That's how our industry is. That's how our business is. Yes. So isness is the death of your business. Right? And to your point all before, busyness is the death of your business as well. Mm. Right? So take all this stuff into consideration. It's so simple. Don't be distracted by what you're doing. Be attracted to what you should be doing. And that requires you to have a real clear sense of purpose about that. Because if you don't have a clear sense of purpose, then you'll stay where you are. Because once you realize what that clear sense of purpose is, you go, well, hang on, we're really not living that purpose anymore by what we're doing. This is distracting us from becoming this, which is why we started our business in the first place. Yeah. And most businesses, I would ask them, did you get in business for the short game or the long game? Mm. You know, Gary Vee talks a lot about this in terms of stuff. He said, like, you know, his business, Gary Vaynerchuk, um, that... He will bring on great talent at the sacrifice of profit for today because he knows what he's building for tomorrow. Yes. Right? And because so he'd rather make 300000 this year, 300000 next year, and in 10 years make $30 million mm. than make a million dollars every year. Right? Yeah. And so from an organization point of view, everything you're doing is taking you away from it. You might have to take some risk. And actually just have a go and just go for what's great. Yes. And you know what? You might find more clients and you might find more of the right clients and you'll be able to decide which clients you should have. And because there's ones that you do have that you probably shouldn't have. And yes, they're probably causing you more pain and taking a lot of your talent and ability away from your organization because it's distracted by the wrong clients because hmm. you're not clear on what problem you're solving and for who. Again, so simple. So simple. I know who to work with and who not to work with. Who you know? don't you work with? Uh, People who don't get it, the people that I don't think that are actually going to put in the work, hmm. that aren't ready, which is a lot of people right now. Yeah, which is fine. Just f- I got plenty of time. Yeah, <laughs> I got a big goal, but plenty of time, yeah. and I got my work cut out for me. Um, but I also don't work for people who don't give a shit about their people. Hmm. Like I can see leaders who are struggling and stuff, but they care so much about their people. I'll work with them and help them through that. But if you just see your people as a means to an end. I'm not interested. Yeah. Not interested. I've done a little bit of work with an organization through another one. I was contracted to do some work. And I'm like, talking to these people, I'm like, and you could see that they were just, and this is like human resources. They were a resource. They were a, a means to an end, a, a tool to use to achieve profitability. Yeah. Like Plug in, plug out. Yeah. Like, hey, guess what? What's your job? Oh, I'm a tool to help my um, shareholders get rich. Mm. Can't wait to get up and do that every day. Yeah. <laughs> So organizations that treat their people like that, I won't work with. Right. Yeah. Um, and ones where I can see they're saying one thing but doing the other, same thing. Mm. If I see someone's just generally struggling and wants to and is sort of they care, you know what? That's what I'm looking for in a leader. Yeah. Show me that you really care. You're just not sure how or whatever. You've been doing some things. Or you just need some assistance, a guidance, a Sherpa, whatever it might be. But you actually care about your people. I'm not there to, I shouldn't have to convince you to care about the people who work for you. No. But I can sure show you how to get them to have more meaning and stuff like that so that that care you have can be exponential. Mm. And they'll care more. Those are the ones I want to work with. What have been some of the unexpected benefits of doing this work? Unexpected benefits? 
Uh, well, certainly I've been able to travel some really cool places um, and get paid to speak on this subject, which has been great. Yeah. Um, get to stay at some really fancy resorts and play some golf in some really cool places, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and actually, even uh, when I work with some clients, some of the... Uh, like, I remember back in Canada, um, Vesa Haino, good buddy of mine, um, steel tile roof company, he wanted to do some work with this, and he's, he wanted to get away from his business. He had a cottage up in the Muskokas, which is in cottage country in Canada. And we went up there and facilitated on his beautiful cottage on this lake. And we got to facilitate his strategic and cultural strategy plan and all that. That was a wonderful surprise, to be able to do that in that environment, in a relaxed place with those sort of people. Mm. Um, yeah, you know what? And actually, uh, just seeing the phenomenal results that people get for themselves is to me, that's the ultimate reward for me in terms of mm. when I see that, like they just transform their lives, the lives of their relationships, you know, like <laughs> I remember doing a lot of work with some clients. Like I'd get a phone call from the wife of another person. I heard you've been working with so-and-so. Um, and she said that her husband's changed dramatically. Can you work with my husband? Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Or I got the husband called, Oh, so, uh, my wife heard that you're working with Craig, and Craig's made transformations and all this, and my wife now wants me to work with you. Yeah. Can you come in and see me? Tell me what you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, and to see that growth, uh, you know, and I look back into the years when I landed back here in Perth, I remember walking down um, St. George's Terrace and bumped into somebody that was worked with me in the bank and just stopped me on the street and like, Dave, when we worked together, when you were the best leader I ever worked with, it was just like, you, my life, I'm here, I'm doing this now, it's just amazing. What, mm. You know, I think, like, that's kind of cool. You know, and it's, at, in the moment, I didn't, it wasn't about that, but here I am, like, 20 years later almost, and someone still... Remembers it. That's a surprise, you know, yeah. and it's nice. It's, yeah. It kind of, you know, once again, it just, well, it feeds the ego, but it just, it just reminds you are having the impact on the world that you wanted to have. Mm. And back then, I did not know. So to have someone from back then that I did not know that that's why I was doing what I was doing, what I wanted to do and all that, and to know that that feedback is still prevalent from those days. Now I do know why I'm doing and what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, but to have it back then when I didn't have a clue, you know, obviously it was in the back of your mind or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah that, that, that's kind of neat. It's, it's really neat to, to have those moments. And, the, you know, that's when you sit and go, ah, I'm doing the right thing. Hmm. And I've actually been doing it longer than I thought. And it's kind of this way. It's often the case. Oh, it is. It's so it cool. Is. Yeah. You know, and, and it's so imagine if you could do a job that you love, that you're willing to endure suffering through, but then you get those moments of gratification or gratefulness or gratitude presented to you 10 years from now. Today, if I don't, if I did something and I didn't get instant gratitude or gratefulness or, yeah. you know, I'm like, well, why'd I do that? I always yeah. have this argument with people about opening a door for women. Right, I'll open the door for anyone. Not just, but like, I'll open a door, and people are like, you open the door, and they didn't even say thank you. So I didn't open it for them to say thank you. I opened it because you know, so I don't open it because they're a lady. I opened it because my parents raised me to be oh, a gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but if I'm doing it just so they'll say thank you to me, well, then I'm doing it for my own purposes. Mm. You know, I'm just trying to do a nice thing for somebody. You know, I'll still open the door for my wife in the car to in and out of the car. Yeah. But that I was just raised to do that. Whether she says thanks or not is irrelevant. So if you're doing it for that, but so for me, you, the gratitude you may receive maybe 20 years later. Yes. Yes. And then I talk about the ability to endure suffering. Yeah. Right? So that endurance level needs to be there. Uh, because if you're looking for instant gratification, then I don't think you're working on your purpose. Yes. And if you're doing something, you think, okay, I didn't get anything for that. Hmm. And even in organizations, I, well, I, I did what you said and nothing's happened. 
a concept I work on with people is urgently patient. Okay, be urgently patient. It means act with a sense of urgency, but be patient for the results. Yeah. We're talking about transforming and it takes time and, and, and like that, going to the gym. Yeah, absolutely. You just did ten bicep curls and you don't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is stupid. I'm not yeah. doing this workout again. Yeah. <laughs> and no. my muscles hurt. And you know, it's like Exactly. But muscles are built over a period of time through repetition. Right? And it's about tearing it and then giving it time to rest and rebuild and then tear it again and rebuild and tear it right? And that's the process of repetition. So and your brain is the biggest muscle you have. It's the one we least work out. Mm-hmm. And so in our organization, if we're not willing to tear it and then rebuild it, let it rest, recoup, then tear it, rebuild it, and build it over time, how are you going to build that muscle in your organization? How do you build your purpose muscle in your organization? How do you build your values muscle in your organization? Well, you need to be using it every day, working out, testing it, tearing it apart, and do it again. <laughs> it's like, once again, it's, we all know that. Yes. But we want it now. We want it now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so one of the things that I'd like to share with people is uh, discovering your purpose or your values in your business. You imagine it's like a lump of clay on the, the table, right? And now a sculptor who's going to sculpt that, to sculpt a statue, are they actually creating the statue or are they revealing what's already inside the clay? Mm. See, I, yeah, I've had this thing with the whole self-development business. Yep. And whether is it, should it really be called self-development or should it be called self-revealment? Yes. Because it's already in there somewhere. It's in, in there it. somewhere. And, that's and, to, and to hit it from that point, hit it from that frame of yeah. perspective, is a whole, is a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is what I'm working with leaders. I said, like, you know, all we're doing is we're removing the clay to reveal what's already inside here. You guys started this business. You, there was some magic you bottled in the early days in terms of the value, unique thinking that you had about this business yeah. and how we want to not only why we want to solve this problem, but how we're going to go about solving this problem and the way we're going to think about solving this problem. It's already there. So my job is just keep removing the gunk to reveal is like to help you just reveal what's already inside your business. Yeah. And that's what it's like. You, you don't need to create a purpose for your business. It's already there. What we need to do is be able to reveal it or discover it or rediscover why you started this business in the first place. Or yourself. I guarantee you, deep down inside, you probably already know. Yeah. But if you admitted it out loud, you'd have to do something about it. Yes. And that's where the fear kicks in. Yes. So I want to help people scrape away the gunk that we've been built up and conditioned all around us to protect us. Yes. And what we want to do is actually, no, remove we it. remove it. So imagine if we could raise kids where they didn't have all that gunk built around them and we just let them be who they are and, you know, and help them to learn and grow and develop on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, try to all these different things so they can really discover what they're most passionate about and see the problems and then everyone would be working on purpose. That would be kind of cool. What have you learned about yourself on this journey? I'm always far more capable of things than I ever thought I was. And I actually, um, I want to say I have more stamina or more mental strength than I ever gave myself credit for. Mm. Uh, you know, and even, even in the last six to 12 months, like a couple of things I've been working on really in terms of my own self-development. And I keep it simple. I have a couple of key mantras that I, or things I use for myself. Um, one I've been working on for a little while now is I don't negotiate with terrorists. Yes. And terrorists are, are people who want to create fear in you, mm-hmm. right? And the first person who wants to create fear in you is who? 
yourself. Right. <laughs> so we never get that thought, like you sit in bed doing something, and I'm going to do a video, and or put myself on camera, and I'm like, oh, but what if I don't look, and people think I'm fat, or people like this, and da 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 yeah. And all these self-limiting beliefs start pounding into your brain, and that stops people from doing it. Yeah. I'm no, like, I'm like, F off, I don't negotiate with terrorists. I say it to myself in my mind, yes. and I'm just going to go and do what I need to do. do it anyway. Because every time I allow that self-limiting belief to win, it knows it can win every time. Yes. So if you want to develop some mental strength or toughness, why do you think countries that have a policy of not negotiating with terrorists have that policy? Yes. Because what if they started negotiating with terrorists? Yeah, everybody would be out there. That's right. So that's why they just said, look, bugger it, and they prove it every single time. We're not going to negotiate. You want to take people hostage to do that? Please understand, we're not going to negotiate no matter what. Hmm. And so when I have those things, or other people outside of me, maybe out of love or doing whatever, who wanted it, I'm like in my mind, like, F off, I don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. So that one's been working for me for a long time now in terms of keeping me focused and not allowing those things so that I can actually express and be who I need to be. Um, and the other thing which I've just developed recently, which is, I think we sort of talked about it earlier, was good thing, bad thing, I don't know. It just is what it is. It is what it is. Because how many things have happened in your life which you thought was terrible in the moment, but in the long run turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to you? Mm-hmm. And vice versa, some things have been really great. You thought this is amazing, but turned out to be the worst thing for you. Absolutely. Right. So stop worrying about it in the moment because those things can, can really impact us. It's like if it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, I don't know. It just is what it is. And then I can go, okay, it is what it is. How do I interpret it? How am I going to deal with it? How am I going to move forward from it? That's productive thinking. Mm. Instead of, um, and there's other way you can just put your rose colored glasses on and say, oh, it's all going to be fine. It'll all be okay. Positive thinking. And there's a big difference to me between positive thinking and productive thinking. Yes. And I like to stay more focused on productive thinking, which says shit's happened. It's real. But how am I going to deal with it and move forward? Um, but I don't have to sit there and lament over, oh, this is the worst thing ever happened to me. No, because in a year's time, but, you know, and, and I did do that. I, I used to do that. Um, but I don't do it anymore. Hmm. I don't know, since I turned 50, maybe I got a license not to give a shit anymore. Um, or I just realized, like, I'm too old for this shit. I don't know. It's like, yeah. It's like, like, uh, but yeah, so I've certainly learned that about myself. Um, and the other thing, certainly from a mindset perspective, is, and this is why I have such a big goal, I'm 53 years old. I know I don't sound like it. Um, people don't watching like it. don't look like it. <laughs> but the, I, I sit there and I think, um, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, they're winding down at this age, looking for retirement, doing all this sort of stuff. And I'm just winding up. Yeah. And I'm like, if I go back 35 years, I was 18. And I think if I go forward 35 years, I'll be 88. Now, with modern advancements in medicine and technology and all that, mm. I think for me to live a fit and healthy life still around 88 to 90, it's going to be quite possible. Yeah. But if I look back then at the 35 years to when I was eight. All the life I've left, lived, sorry, from 18 to 53, I have all that again with all the knowledge and learning and wisdom. It's mental. <laughs> so when you think about it, like, holy crap, I've got all that time again and everything I've learned to move forward with. Yeah. Like, how cool is that? So why would I want to slow down? I've already spent 35 years. I've invested. It's the longest apprenticeship in history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I've done the longest university degree in history, and I'm not going to use any of it? I'd be a dickhead <laughs> if I didn't do it. Right? Absolutely. So why wouldn't I? And you know how much younger you feel when you have that mindset? Mm. You know, if I'm 18 thinking, oh, 35 you know, I'm just sitting, I'm actually sitting here yeah. now, and when you said that, yeah. I was going, shit, I'm 44. 
If I go back 25 years, I was just starting university. Crap, think of what I've done then. Now, 25 years ahead, that's 69. Yeah. That's not far. That's only a year older than my dad. My dad's parents are only 22 years yeah. older than me. I was like, it's only a year older than my dad. Yep. Far out. How much could you get done knowing all you've known for the past oh. 25 years in the next 25 years? Yeah, and, and not just what I know, but the, the mindset, the belief, yeah. and everything else that has come with that. Yeah. That just accelerates the journey exponentially. Absolutely. And with all the way the uncertainty in the world, and this is, this is once again, this is the coolest time to be alive. Isn't it? I'm alive at the coolest time, and I have at least 35, maybe 40, maybe 50 years. I don't know. I joke to people, say I'm a third of the way through my life. I think I might make it to 150. Yeah. You know, my grandmother passed away at 103. Yeah, um, uh, a few years ago now, but so she was born in 1909, right, and then lived to 103. Yeah, and that was back in those days, with whatever medicines and technologies we've had up until 2012 when she passed mm -hmm. away. So what, with today's science and technology, yeah. I've already got good genes apparently. Yeah, <laughs> so as long as I take care of all the stupidity that I did for my youth with broken knees and things, you know, that's what I've got forward. Uh, but like what. So possibly I could, but let's yeah. just, I just said, look, even with 35 years, if I have a good solid 35 years um, with all that, like how cool and exciting is that in the most uncertain times in the world today? You know, in the past when you'd know, like the last, it would be 10 years of this, 10 years of this, 10 years, it was predictable. Yes. Predictability is out the window now. Yes. And that scares people. But the, here's the exciting part. There's no opportunity in predictability. There's only opportunity in uncertainty. Because nobody has a clue what should be done or how it should be done anymore. So you can create whatever the hell you like. Absolutely. So isn't this the coolest of times? I mean, every generation's had its own uncertainty. This is our generation's most uncertain of times. This is also the greatest of times because it's the most opportunistic of times. Heck, we only had Uber drivers six years ago. And in five years' time, they'll be extinct. Hmm. Or we're starting to become extinct. Yeah. Because autonomous cars will be happening. And we only, so that job's only been around for 10 years or have a window of maybe 15 years. Come and gone. Come and gone. You know, and people are like, oh, we're losing all the other jobs. We have drone operators. We have jobs we never even knew of today yes. that we didn't have. We lost all these ones, but all new ones were created. Hmm. And so going forward, everyone's panicking about, oh, there's going to be no jobs. For the go and create shit. Hmm. It's uncertain. No one, no one has a clue anymore. Go make stuff happen. Yes. Here's your chance. I'm luckier than most because I've got 35 years of history and experience and knowledge to apply in this uncertain times going forward. Indeed. So from a mindset point of view, that's what I focus on. And don't let any of the terrorists into that, yeah. <laughs> into that, into my country. Indeed. <laughs> right? What does the next um, three to five years of your 35 years look like? <laughs> yeah, so my, like the business that I'm building uh, is certainly uh, to be the leader of a new generation of purpose-driven leaders. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of creating and inspiring that 90 million purpose-driven leaders, I'm, you know, there's some ones that I want to inspire that are already there, like I said, those ones who want to but just not sure how to and that. And, yeah. and there's ones that I want to create in terms of new people coming into leadership roles and things like that. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's all about building that. And I see myself as a leader in, in that space in terms of um, not leading, but leading the way and showing people how to. I'm, I've always phrased myself as a how-to-why guy. You know, there's a lot of people write about why and start with why and all these other great books yeah. are out there. I work with people on how to why because most people are like, oh, this is great. I should have all this sort of stuff, but they don't know how to do it. Yes. I show you how to do it. Um, and so I want to build an organization that 
is a, is a leader of a new generation of purpose-driven leaders. So um, with the next generations that are rolling in, the, the, gen, the millennials, the Gen Zs, all this sort of stuff. Um, so it's just purely focused on me helping create more purpose-driven leaders. And then my organization exists to enable the organizations that they're mm. in to become more purpose-driven. Um, and it's just 100% focus on that. You know, that is it. There's nothing more complicated to it to me. That's what the next three to five years is me continuing to work with clients and, and uh, you know, work, books, programs, processes, tools, whatever I need to create mm. to help them become what they're capable of becoming to solve the problems that they want to solve passionately in the world for people. Um, and I'll just keep building and evolving and creating new tools and processes, leveraging latest technology. I'm looking at all this voice stuff right now in terms of uh, Alexa skills and, you know, all these sorts of things. How can I help create it where it simplifies the process and people can easily embrace it? If you, if you want to, the best way to get people to do things is to follow human behavior. Correct. Right? So if I look at, and this is why I've been working with leaders in terms of a case study right now, to understand the behaviors of leaders and organizations and all that and, and where the challenges are. So I said, okay, how can I provide them a process that's non-intrusive that allows them to evolve and still achieve the things that they want by creating the organization and solving. So that's the evolution of my business is, is creating all those new purpose-driven leaders and giving them the tools and resources in a non-invasive or intrusive way that they can utilize to do that and build their teams and their lives around that. I don't know how. Not 100%. Mm. But it's a buddy of mine, Chris Gumby, has got a book called The Success Playbook. It's a great book. Uh, and he talks about walk as far as you can see and then you'll be able to see a little bit further. So once again, I know what business I need to build in three years. I've worked myself back. I know what I need to work on in the next 12 months. I know what I'm working on in the next 90 days. Yep. And as I work closer to each of those, it's what I call um, strategic horizons. The horizon's a mental construct, right? It's, it's You can't go to the horizon. Yeah, yeah. But we pursue it. We chase it. <clears throat> it's in every movie. Yeah. You know? and, but the further you walk, the further you can see. Yes. Same concept. So the further I walk down towards this building this leader of a new generation of purpose-driven leaders, I'll learn more. I'll see more. I'll, and the evolution will continue. Mm. Um, so I know what I'm doing right now because I've reverse engineered it and what I'm focused on and building a world-class development process that organizations and leaders can use uh and then that'll evolve going forward but still with the same aim of building that because i actually my vision for the world is i see a world where every business is led on purpose first like i yep. said so i need to be able to enable those organizations in order to do that i need to help develop purpose-driven leaders yes like it's not a complicated process <laughs> so i mean when you break it down that simple laser focus anything comes like no that's not going to help me build this that's not going to help me do that out that's what the next three years is just me speaking traveling the world building tools processes building a team of people who are sharing that same passion to do it because i know i can't do it alone yep collaborating with other people who are doing something really cool getting a chance to speak on awesome podcasts as many times to get the message out there yeah. <laughs> right indeed yeah uh, very clear on your voice your message your vehicles and why you're doing what you're doing and then just do as much of it as you can how do you keep yourself grounded? Um, I've always been one of these people who says, you know, um, keep your head in the clouds, put your feet on the ground. Yep. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough to have a wife that keeps me very grounded. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, if anybody knew you, you're just that everyday idiot. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. I actually, I think on my Facebook pro profile, it says idiot savant. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, um, you know, I, what I do is special. 
I don't think I'm special in, in terms of anything more than any human being. And yeah. I don't put people up on pedestals. And there's been a lot of people who like look at these people as gurus and all this sort mm. of stuff. They all put their pants on the same way I do every morning. Uh, I admire a lot of people for the work that they've done and the goals they've achieved and the work that they do. But I'm the same way. Like, and we were having this conversation last night. We are talking about uh, when you go to these conferences, you know, keep yourself grounded. I've been to a lot of conferences and conventions and stuff like that where I've either been speaking or attending. And, you know, you get there and there's an amazing speaker and then you go and want to speak to them. And it's like, oh, wow, this is like I get to speak to this. And they don't have any time for you. Yeah. You know, and they say, hey, go find somebody who's doing what you're doing and, 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 and you demand their time. And, you, and you'll tell yeah. you. And then you, you do that to them. And like, oh, no, 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 I don't. I just. Yeah. Um, I promised myself I'd never be that guy. So when I go speak at conferences now, when uh, the conference association books me to speak at their event, uh, I might have an hour time slot to do my 45 minute to do my keynote, which is great. But I give the event coordinator, here's my calendar. You're paying for me to be here for two days. Here's my calendar. Anybody who wants to have one-on-one time with me or you get a group of people, give me a room with a whiteboard, flip chart, whatever, or one-on-ones, or I'll attend the dinners, I'll sit down in that, and I make myself available to those people because I'm there to serve. Yes. I'm not above them because I'm standing on stage. Yeah. And so I make sure that I stay humble, if you like, for want of a better term, or keep my feet on the ground in terms of, I don't do what they do. They're probably phenomenal at what they do. Mm. I'm just doing what I do. And if they want more access to me, I give it to them. Because I don't think we do that enough. Um, And I've always got other people to keep me in check. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you're human, all this stuff, all of a sudden, like, all this great feedback comes back, you get a little bit, hey, this is awesome, yeah, you know, <clears throat> uh, and then there's always somebody there who'll go, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 I like to, uh, self-deprecating humor, uh, you know, like, like the, yeah. I'm the first person to take the piss out of myself, <laughs> it's like yes. that. Uh, it's one thing, uh, yeah. English and Canadian people have in common. Yeah, no problem whatsoever. <laughs> uh, we'll take the piss out of each other too, really yeah, well. Yeah. Um, but we'll go have wings and beer afterwards. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, but yeah, you know what? It's just, I just do what I do and I love what I do. And yeah. I hope to inspire the people to do the same thing. Um, and I don't put myself above anybody else, you know? Um, and I make myself available. I don't, yeah, yeah. you know, as much as I can. Uh, and, you know, as that it continues to expand and grow, I, you know what? I'm a dad, I'm a husband, you know, I, I have other responsibilities in life and I'm not just that, and that's what keeps me grounded. You know, I have amazing kids, I've got an amazing wife, I've got all this, all this stuff that I do in my life, great friends, uh, and I don't judge my friends if someone, if I'm doing this and I'm making gazillions doing that or whatever, and, and they're happy making their 60 grand a year working for this company, so whatever, as long as they're happy and they love what they're doing, hmm. there's no... Judgment. Yeah. And once again, I was raised uh, no different that you treat the sweet sweeper as much as you would treat the president or CEO of a company. Same respect. It doesn't matter. They're human beings. Yeah. And, and once again, and that's what I work with organizations on. So it would be foolish for me to actually go and say, well, I put myself above or whatever. We're all equal. We all have our choices. We all have whatever. Um, and I respect you for your choices. You respect me for my choices. You do what you love doing. I do what I love doing. And nobody's above anybody because of that. And unfortunately, society, though, looks at it and says, well, how much do you make? How much do you make? Well, yeah. you make $20 million a year. You make $100,000 a year. That person's way more successful than you. Mm, but they're miserable. They're on antidepressants. They've got the debt collectors calling them to repossess them because they're overextended on everything they have. And you're living the dream. Mm. <laughs> there we go. 
I'm always reminded by those things, and that keeps me grounded. And also, you know what keeps me grounded? Is I've been to the bottom twice. Yeah. Last question. Yep. Um, if you could take a, a little nugget of information and upload it into the collective consciousness, everybody gets it. Yep. Oh, great question. One of those where you sit there at the end of the day and go, oh, I wish everybody just got this. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, see, I'm, I'm trying to judge what I, the answer that just came to me is getting back to that, just find that problem you want to solve in the world and go for it. Yeah. Forget about all the trappings of success. Yeah, well, the thing that you just drives you nuts that you just want to see and that you're so passionate about. But it, <clears throat> we get into the trappings of success. Mm. You know, you get out a thousand dollar job, you get a car, you got the house and a mortgage and all this, then the trips and and but in your soul, you're dying. Mm. And you know, I think someone else. I wrote a song. Uh, I did a bit of songwriting and I've done some stuff and things. And I wrote one. It's called um, "Dead Man Walking." Yes, which is based on the premise that most people die at twenty but don't get buried till they're eighty. Yeah, because they. I've heard it. I heard it described as the the slow asphyxiation of comfortable. Yeah, great. <laughs> That's an awesome way to look at it. Um, so if I could just matrix put a thing, program into the back yeah. of your head, yeah. exactly upload right. this file, yeah. um, it would be to go after solving that problem that you're most passionate about in the world yeah. and be willing to risk everything to do it. And just do it. Um, you know, I know that's going to come with consequences for people. And it has for me. But you know what? I've come through it every time. I got to a stage where I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to pay the rent the next month. Yeah. The next week. If I can enough have fuel in my car to get to that next appointment, which could be the deal I close, it could change my life. I could have given up. Mm. But I didn't. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't. And I think once you push through those barriers, if I could just help people. Imagine if you could just plant a seed. This is what it looks like on the other side. Yeah. That's the seed I'd plant. Yeah. i say, you know what? All this stuff which is what I'd love you to do, but I would plant the seed in your head that says, this is what it looks like on the other side. The other side of fear, this is what's waiting for you. Guaranteed, 100%, this is what's waiting for you. If I could plant that seed in your head, then I know you'd do what it needs to be done anyway. Yeah. But the problem is we don't know it's there. The only guarantee is if are you going to do it. But if I could put the seed in and says, guaranteed, this is your lifestyle, in your head, once you push through all these barriers, that's waiting for you. How many more people would take action, you reckon? Not more. Yeah. Guaranteed, 100%, you have this lifestyle waiting for you on the other side of fear. And that doesn't have to be riches, whatever you want. If you want to just be a vagabond, laptop lifestyle, whatever it is, you want to have a millionaire, be a mansion, whatever it is you want to have, whatever you visualize for yourself, it's on the other side of fear. But guaranteed, you get it that would be a cool seed to plant in people's heads because mm. they would take action on that. So, but there's no guarantee unless you do it. Dave, it's been awesome talking to you. It's been absolutely cool. It's one of the best podcasts. <laughs> it's, cool. Normally it's all very businessy and stuff like that. It's been nice to actually share some personal stuff. I like to get involved in the um, front story and the back story. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's, it's great. So thank you. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation, actually. It's been great. Good, good. I feel a little bit uh, cleansed. <laughs> yeah, some people have said it's a little bit like therapy of, of a nature. Yeah. And also uh, connecting yourself with the best parts of yourself. Yeah, no, it's, but, but once again, it, it, 
for anybody, it like it allows you to reconnect. It forces you to get back in connection with a lot of things. Yeah. Like you maybe think back to a whole bunch of things that I've not paid as much attention to, or I've like sit right at the back of my mind. You know, it's kind of like you go in that house and it's got the it's got the bed sheets over the furniture. <laughs> mm. I've had to rip the bed sheets off and go, yeah. oh yeah, remember that couch? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so those things in my brain. So that's uh, yeah, it's been exciting. Thank awesome. you. So if somebody wants to find you, where can they find you? Uh, very simple. Uh, is www.daveclares, which is D-A-V-E-C-L-A-R-E.com. Yeah. That's my website. Um, obviously on Facebook, I, I go under the tag, The Prophet for Purpose. So P-R-O-P-H-E-T for F-O-R Purpose. Yeah. Um, so just facebook.com backslash Prophet for Purpose. You can see me there. Easy way, just go on the website, all the links to all social media and everything's yeah. on there though. Um, and anybody who's listened to this podcast who has a question about anything we've discussed, yeah. I, I seek to answer all questions. Just shoot me an email. Which email is easiest, Dave at mm. DaveClaire.com. Yeah. Um, only my mother calls me David, so I go by Dave. Yeah. And that's usually when I'm in trouble. The, uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, shoot me an email, Dave at Dave Claire, and I will engage, uh, respond as soon as possible. Um, if you have any questions about anything we've discussed or would like more information, very happy to answer whatever I can. Yeah, yeah, like I said, I, I'm accessible, I'm available. I want to, any, any response you get from me on social media, anything like that, Twitter, it's me responding. There's no, yeah. I don't use autoresponders, I don't use anything. So uh, if it takes a little while, please apologize, but I yeah. do get back to everything. So, Dave, thank you very much for your time. Oh, my pleasure, Bryn. Thank you, man. Yeah. It was awesome. Cheers. <laughs>